For today's episode of Flying Podcast, we're looking at the world of microlights and light sport aircraft here in the UK. And where better to do that uh, than at the Popham Microlight Trade Fair, held, not surprisingly, at Popham Airfield in Hampshire. After a rainy and blustery start, uh, the show's weather improved, so much so that uh, the weather on Sunday was near perfect for flying, uh, and there were hundreds of visitors by uh, both air and by road. Anyway, let's hear from the first person I bumped into on the Saturday morning. Okay, I'm with Jerry Speech from Rotorsport UK Limited. Uh, we're at Popham today. What's uh, what's new on your stand? Well, the thing that's new is our new Cavalon uh, side-by-side two-seat gyroplane. Literally brand new. We have our first permits to fly issued last Thursday by the CIA. And the first aircraft left our workshops um, on Thursday afternoon. And uh, we've got one of those aircraft here today as a, as a static display on the stand. And we've got another one flying in shortly. That'll be available for customer demonstrations and uh, general flights. Uh, much interest? Uh, well, it's a bit early yet. It's pouring with rain. But uh, I'm expecting a lot of interest. Uh, this aircraft is literally state-of-the-art in the world right now. There isn't another two-seat side-by-side in the world that can do what this, this one can do. It's very comfortable, it's heated, it's got excellent visibility, and it's CIA approved, and that's the big tab. Uh, you're very busy on the stand, even though it's uh, pouring down. Yes, and hopefully that, that, that'll, that'll stay all, all weekend. Um, it's, it's always nice to see the gyroplane village that we create here. Uh, we've got Magni gyroplanes beside us, uh, Rotorsport. Um, we've got a huge fleet of customers and aircraft in the UK now, over 120 aircraft flying, and uh, we're expecting quite a lot of those people to fly in. We've already got a good range of uh, gyros flown in so far as the weather clears up. Uh, we expect to see quite a number, possibly at 30 or 40 of the aircraft. The gyros are always flying when everyone else is grounded, aren't they? Well, that's because we've got such a huge weather window. We're flying in 40 knot winds when others are on the ground hoping they could get in the air. And uh, that's what makes gyroplane flying so much fun. We can do it when others aren't. Uh, how are sales going of the, uh, the tandem, the Calidus? Uh, Calidus has been a bit slow. We've got uh, 20, approved, oh, sorry, 20 in service in the UK. Um, Cavalon, we've got eight of those on order, even though we've only just got approval. Uh, we're expecting to hit potentially 20 of those aircraft this year alone. Um, but generally sales have been slack for the last couple of years, as is with everybody, uh, with the uh, slow economy and the exchange rate. Uh, but it's looking bright this year. We've got, as I said, eight more aircraft coming in over the next uh, couple of months. So future's bright. Brilliant. Good to see you here. Thank you very much. Thank you for talking to me. Okay, with John Riley of uh, Airbike. Airbike UK. And John, what's the latest with Airbike? Right, well, uh, I've been test flying it now for over the last six months and uh, come to the conclusion that I needed to change the engine mount uh, which I did and it's got now it's got a conventional uh, aircraft engine mount and it's transformed the aeroplane it, uh, it seems to have cured all the niggly issues I had what were the issues John? a uh, vibration mainly um, I mean yeah everything stemmed from vibration because it's a single cylinder with its own sort of uh, problems uh-huh. but this new engine mount I flew from Plaistos St Albans to Popham uh, it was uh, faultless uh, wonderful flight uh, 50 minutes uh, 53 miles so a little bit of a tailwind helping me uh, and uh, yes absolutely no issues at all I mean checking over the engine and the airframe on landing there was just absolutely nothing so it was 
marvellous really so really, really good news so I'm, I'm really pleased really pleased with it so that's the, uh, that's, the, that's the only thing I've done, really. What sort of engine does it have? It has a Hearth F33, a single cylinder, 28 horsepower, which is quite small, but really adequate, it's really enough. There's not a lot to, for it to drag along, is there? No, indeed, indeed. Uh, it uh, revs at 6,200, and uh, I was cruising at 50 miles an hour at 5.3 which was excellent mm -hmm. but anything you know even 5.6 it's climbing but at 6.2 it climbs quite well yeah. I haven't got any exact figures yet but uh, there's always something I'm uh, looking at so always one test I'm wanting to do but yes more testing to do to, to actually document everything but uh, I can happily say that the uh, the engine is sorted now okay how soon before it gets to to market it's already there now. Okay. That, that's it now. That's it. But what it does need is reliability, and I think I've pro shown that it's got that now. So, uh, and the one bit of uh, news I've got, I've got a chap in France putting it through the French regs, uh, and he, he's ordered one. And uh, so hopefully, it will be uh, classed as a French microlite, not because they don't have an SSDR. Class. Okay. So, uh, so that's the uh, that only happened uh, a few days ago. So that was that's quite interesting. Uh, it's available as a kit. Kit. Yep. It's kit build. Yeah. And the cost? Uh, well, the basic uh, airframe kit is uh, approximately six thousand pounds, and then you've got the engine on top. And if they chose uh, the Hearth F33, that's about three thousand pounds on top. So you can get the complete aeroplane really for just under 10 which is pretty good well, that was my aim was to get an aeroplane less than 10,000 yeah. pounds that was the and you can do that brilliant it looks like good flying it, it well fantastic absolutely I mean it's right out there in the open I mean it's uh, I equate it to the old trikes of years ago that were without a pod so it's like flying a trike without a pod it's yeah, yeah. Uh, really open and uh, like the old weed hopper indeed yes yeah 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 uh, what is its history? Its history is uh, it was designed by Wayne Eisen. If you, if you look at the That's registration, the yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's the designer of the Minimax, a uh, very successful aeroplane. So there's probably a couple of hundred flying in the States. There's a few flying in Germany, and I think there's just the one in France. Uh, it was first flew in 95 but Wayne Eisen the designer he closed his company is uh, retired now uh, nobody's marketing the air bike anywhere uh, so that's why I uh, was interested in, in doing it of course he was over the moon when I sent him a picture of it with his name as the registration he's, uh, he's 84 now which yeah. is uh, he's in the Hall of Fame in the EAA in, the, in America so uh, but none this is the only one in the UK the first. Okay, much interest today? Yeah, well, the weather's early days. Yeah, <laughs> yes, the weather's been awful this morning. But, uh, yeah, no, no, I mean, people are always interested. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's an eye catcher, isn't it? It is. I've got a, quite a long list uh, on my email uh, list because uh, I have a website and uh, people can subscribe and put their name, name on it. And uh, I have a newsletter which I send out. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
so there'll be some news to put in later. I haven't. I, I was trying to get one out before Popham to say, you know, it's uh, I'm here and it's flying. It didn't have time. So after the event, it'll have to be now. So I'll put out uh, a newsletter after the show. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you very much, John. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Right, with uh, Robin Morton, Grass Strip Aviation, what have you got here today? Yes, we've got the our, uh, SSDR E3 Iron Decker replica. Uh, this has an MZ201 45 horse inline inverted two stroke engine in it. Has electric start. We've been pioneering uh, modern batteries uh, to try and keep the weight down. And the aircraft has come in just, but it's under, under 115 kilos. Um, and it's a very that makes it into a, a very normal, very useful aeroplane. We've got brakes, we've got in-flight trim, um, and it's an extremely gentle aeroplane to fly. Uh, we've done all the usual basic flight testing on it. The stall is very benign. Um, it's a very slight wing drop, but it just nods itself down and starts flying again. Very modern wing section on the wing. You can see it's a it's a, uh, a modern GA1 wing section which means that the stalling characteristics are, uh, uh, are very gentle and uh, we've proved that on the aircraft so uh, we're very pleased with the, uh, both the performance and the, the handling of it. Uh, how many kits have, have been sold? We've, uh, we've got seven kits out altogether uh, and uh, we've got four of them complete and flying, a fifth which is complete and almost ready to fly. Uh, Another one has been bought by a very elderly gentleman and he's taken his time building it because this is a very quick build kit. Um, the first one in the air took the guy about six months to make. He was an experienced builder but it does mean that the thing does go together as fast as we say it does. It's very, uh, very, very quick to put together. But much interest in the kit? It's, uh, it's, it's been a thin couple of years. Uh, once the initial, um, the people who desperately wanted one had bought one, um, we've been, um, we've had a lot of interest, but the, the general financial situation I don't think has helped anybody in the leisure industry and microlites in general, I'm afraid. We're, we're not the only people who are, uh, we're ticking over. We're, we're, we're doing fine, we're ticking over, and we're still in business, and we're staying in business. I so said this to the guy with the airbag, but it is an eye catcher, isn't it? It is. It's lovely. Yes, it's lovely. When we get the wings on, it's great. And um, it, it, the, the odd thing, really, is seeing two of them on one airfield at the same time, which we've just we've got that at Aston at the moment. And you, th you almost do a double team, even though you've built one yourself and you've sold the guy to the kit. You <laughs> wonder why it's just the two airplanes look yeah. the same. But um, yeah, it's good. I mean, we've we've very nearly got sort of half a squadron together now. I was going to say you need get. a squadron do some we've air shows. We've got uh, we've got one guy who's. Um, um, a commercial pilot who lives down uh, in Sussex and he's got his own strip, God bless him, um, and he said it's just the most fun he's ever had with his trousers on because he said I'll go flying it every day and he's, he's done something like well over 100 flights and 40 hours or something on it and he said it's just absolutely magic. He said, when you're flying that, you're just looking out for SE5s everywhere. Because he said, you just can't get over it. You look down across the wing over these big black crosses. In it, and, and he said, it's great. <laughs> and it is. You know, you're yeah. flying it and you look out and you think, dear God, anybody comes, you know, sees this thing flying over. I wonder what on earth it is. So, What's the, the history of development? What made you get into building an SSDR? We, uh, when we heard that uh, deregulation microlights looked as if they were going to happen, uh, we had a look at the, uh, uh, well, we looked in the World Directory of Light Aviation to see what might just 
be worth going for. There were three or four of us who thought it might be a good idea to, uh, to, to get one. And uh, there weren't very many aircraft that were interesting enough for us to say, well, yeah, I think they'd like one of those. And we quite totally independently came up with the Eindecker because it was an FAR Part 103 aeroplane in the States, mm -hmm. and therefore, in theory, uh, it should be okay over here. Uh, one or two things that needed changing, the wing area had to be increased, but um, Robert Bosley of uh, Aerodrome Aeroplanes had already made one big wing for somebody in the States who wanted it. So he already had the design, he already had everything that he needed, he knew everything that he needed to make it, so he sold us the big wing. Um, so we have sufficient wing area, and there have been various things that we've been doing to keep it uh, lighter, um, but we have ended up with a, a, an aeroplane which is very authentic. It's got the correct number of bracing cables on it, which the American one hasn't. Um, and as I say, it flies very well. Excellent. Any new developments coming along? We've got a lot of things in mind. One of the things we really are, are concentrating on at the moment is engines. Um, we were very interested that one of our builders bought the Solo V-Twin engine. had a little bit of trouble with it and he didn't get an awful lot of product support. Um, and I don't think there were too many of those engines sold in this country, but principle's excellent. And we think there's a lot of mileage to be had out of that if it's done properly. Um, so we've got the engine, we've got some of the bits, we're waiting for a reduction unit. We desperately wanted it here at Popham, which has been on order since last October and it just hasn't arrived. Um, so that's the main thing that we're looking at at the moment, is trying to see if we can do a, um, a, a, a good 30-horse four-stroke V-twin for SSDRs, because that'll be, it, it'll be just wonderful. It sounds good, and it, it's got a lovely sound to it, and of course uh, you end up not having to mix two-stroke fuel, just four-stroke, it's wonderful. Yep. And we've got a few other things in mind as well, but um, they are ideas at the moment. Uh, but we do realise that we need to, uh, we, we're trying to broaden the product stream. We already do the Dream Classic as well. Um, that's had minimal interest in this country, but there is a little bit beginning to come along now. And uh, so we, we're considering, we've got a kit in, and we're considering putting that together as a prototype. So uh, we, we, we might be getting started on that shortly. Have you sold any fuckers on the continent? Yeah, we have. We've sold one in France. Uh, we're not quite sure how the guy's getting on with it. Uh, but yes, we've got one down in the middle of France. We'd love to be able to fly them, uh, to sell them into Germany. We've had a huge amount of interest from Germany, uh, but the German LBA won't countenance it um, unless it's got full LBA certification. And it just takes an SSDR-type aeroplane totally out of the bracket in terms of costs. Um, and I believe that... Um, the kid had problems as well, the reality aircraft kid, when they went into Germany, they thought it would be perfectly all right. They certainly, I think, got, were given the impression that because it was, that the kid was such an S clear, there should be no problem, and there was. And uh, that, uh, that was very sad. Um, so as far as we're concerned, yeah, if somebody in Germany would like to take on the certification, then fine. But uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's a bridge too far for us. There's, just, there's not the mileage in the total number of aeroplanes you could sell. And, and this is the whole point for us about SSDR, that you're not burdened with the costs of certification, and you still get a jolly nice aeroplane. Uh, and indeed, the ice and air bike as well, as you can see, is, is, yeah. uh, is very much the same. Great. Well, so thank you very much, Robin. Not at all. Delighted to talk to you. George Simone of Grass Strip Aviation.
You're in charge of engine development? I am indeed, yes. Um, currently we're looking at developing a series of engines based on the Briggs & Pratton V-twin four-stroke, starting with a 30-horsepower, uh, uh, then going up to 35 and then 40. Uh, the 30-horsepower will be going on our next uh, airframe, which is the Dream Demoiselle, and um, that will have the with the reduction drive. Um, we should uh, hopefully see a low fuel consumption around the four and a half to five litres an hour and plenty of torque. And I also work for Hercules Propellers so we'll be designing a propeller specifically for the engine and airframe combination to get the best efficiency out of the whole uh, combination. Why is the V-twin so appropriate for uh, a fucker like this? Well, I think... Um, power, power to weight and all that. Power to weight. I think the standard base engine is 35 kilos um, at 23 horsepower at 3,600 RPM. It's, re it's restricted, governed to that. Uh, if you take the governor, remove that, it will rev to about 4,200. It will give you about 26 horsepower, but with some very minor tweaks in timing advance and uh, valve gear changes you can get a good 28 to 30 horsepower reliable for horsepower so uh, and um, people are moving away from two strokes you know as simple as that and also you know uh, I think at some point emissions will become an issue and um, better control with the four stroke presently that's all and hopefully we can bring the engines in at a reasonable price you know, that's uh, very conscious of that we are microlighters and, and people, you know, are, are flying on a budget. You yeah, know? yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so that's the whole basis behind the project. Are Hercules here today? Uh, no, well, I'm here, so if anybody <laughs> wants it. to... Yeah, I want to talk uh, about propellers so I can talk to them. Uh, you mentioned the Dream Demoiselle. That will be based on the dream classic kit that Robin mentioned but yes in this case it's gonna be a factory built yes it's gonna be a factory built aircraft with some changes to the wing uh, we're gonna reduce the wingspan but increase the cord so that we keep the wing area it's gonna have a standard wing fold and standard will be the 30 horsepower V twin Briggs and Stratton engine and we're with prop instruments we're hoping to bring that to market as a factory built for 10k wow. and that's based on the very sort of early magnificent men in the flying it machines is, demoiselle yeah. which doesn't look like it <laughs> it does look like it <laughs> it does yeah <laughs> brilliant okay thanks again george all right uh, graham smith from sprite aviation services what do we have here today at, uh, at popham well this is our groppo trail it's the original demonstrator um, we got it fully approved uh, in October of last year and so far we've managed to deliver 17 so um, it's gone very well we started off with a Rotax engine but most customers now are ordering it with a, a 95 horsepower sour engine which is uh, 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 quite a bit sh more economical in terms of the original purchase than the Rotax engine um, the uh, first uh, UK kits are now about a year old and they're just coming up to completion so this summer we should see I would think at least five of them fly uh, which would be great to have them flying round because at the moment we're limited to this one aircraft um, it'll just about take two adults and full fuel 
so the the uh, weight limit of it is uh, it's just about right really uh, it's a very sweet plane uh, comes as a very economical kit it's about 14,700 pounds as a as a kit which gets you up to the firewall um, the whole uh, ethos of the plane is that it's uh, it's uh, very uh, economical to buy it's cheap to build and it's cheap to hanger because it has a very efficient folding wing on it okay the, the wings will f fold in a minute and a half both wings and you can fold them with full fuel so um, and then you can hanger it you can push it around like a pram once it's the wings are folded and uh, you can push it into a very small space so you can hanger it very efficiently very short takeoff I know you've got very sh very short takeoff push um, tires on there yeah see, uh, one up um, 40 meters and you can get it off the ground wow. landing a little bit longer than that um, one of the really unique things about it is that the um, painting of it it's um, hand painted with a roller with a one coat paint uh, self-priming paint and you know it makes that the, the uh, finishing of the aircraft uh, uh, very, it's a very economical way to finish it because you're not paying three or four thousand pounds to have it spray painted okay and uh, that system was developed by Groppo uh, just really as a way of of uh, extending the utility you know of the aircraft to make yeah. it cheap for home builders gives it a fairly military utilitarian look doesn't it? it it does it's not a gloss finish it's a silk finish yeah. uh, very very nice though and um, we've got several of them now that have been um, hand, hand uh, rollered and, yeah. uh, and, and it's working very well. What's so, the advantage of the sour engine over uh, Rotax? Um, well, cheap, it's, uh, than it, 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 it's, um, it's a simpler engine, much simpler. It does obviously doesn't have any water cooling. It's direct drive, so there's no gearbox. Um, the maintenance items are all available from uh, Halfords, or you know, you use normal engine motor oil, use normal plugs. You don't have to buy special plugs. Uh, it uses a spin-off oil filter, that you know, a car spin-off oil filter. Yeah. It uses alternator belts from a standard car. Um, and so the servicing of it, can, you know, is very cheap to service. It's got hydraulic tappets, so you don't have to struggle with adjusting the tappets. It's very low revving. Uh, we redline at 3,200. has a 1,600-hour TBO. The engine is certified in single ignition form. Um, because it's used in mode certified motor gliders but the dual ignition engine we buy the second ignition unit hasn't actually been certified so you, it, although it's an uncertified engine you're buying a certified engine with an additional okay. uh, ignition unit uh, they've got a very good reputation uh, they're very tough um, they're uh, very smooth in the cruise very quiet in the cruise because they're only revving at 2000 400 2500 in the cruise so you've got a very relaxed cruise on them um, you don't have uh, all these uh, uh, liquids you know coolants and hoses and there's very very few connections when you bolt the engine in you have a fuel a fuel pipe going to the fuel pump and you have uh, throttle and choke cable and uh, I think I think that's about it there's very few connections in uh, so it's a very simple engine to install um, we use magnesium cases, uh, and the magnesium case engines are, are weigh about the same as a Rotax installed. They might be sour, say they're slightly lighter, but there's not much in it. They're about the same. Okay. Uh, you were working on the Microlite version, but what's happened to that? The uh, Microlite version, unfortunately, has come out overweight. Uh, at the moment, we're four kilos overweight. We've got the completed aircraft uh, uh, back at uh, the workshop. Um, we, we, we have to make a decision very soon as to whether we 
try and, and, and see if we can get some weight off of it and get it through as a microlite. The problem I have at the moment is that we've had very, very few inquiries for a microlite version, and that's making me wonder if the, the effort that's going to be required is really worth it. And um, uh, uh, the interest seems to be at the moment in the nose wheel version. Again, we haven't sold any, but we're getting a lot of inquiries now about the nose wheel version. When you buy the kit, you can build it as nose wheel or tail wheel. You decide. It's the same kit. There's no difference. You've got dual mounting points for the undercarriage. Um, Nando Groppo are uh, just about to test fly the side-by-side -side version of this, and we're going to build the first one probably as a nose wheel microlite. Now, that, the side-by-side -side version is six kilos lighter than the tandem, and so we've got a chance with that. And um, so I think there's every possibility that we will build the side-by-side -side nose wheel as a microlite. So that's for later on this summer. Uh, Graham, your other aircraft uh, you've got on, well it's not on display, but you have details here, is the Zigolo single-seat deregulated, and you call it a motor glider. Just give me a few more details about that. Okay, well, well we, 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 I've been following it some time because it, it, it's basically a modified GOAT, and anyone who's into ultralight gliders will know what a GOAT is. It's been around since 2006. It's got an excellent reputation for safety, and uh, the Zigolo is uh, just a modification on a GOAT, which has allowed uh, a standard paramotor engine to be fitted. Um, I, I haven't actually flown one yet, but I've been watching it and looking at the videos, and it looks... I mean, they, they seem to be doing some serious soaring in this in this uh, motor glider, and there's sort of three-hour flights, and um, I, I, I've also seen that, that, you know, people have been doing, you know, decent cross-countries in it, hundreds of kilometres. So, you know, this is a, this is a very, very sensible, uh, serious uh, SSDR, you know, very tough it's got a good pedigree from the from the goat pedigree it's got a uh, a really beautifully made kit you know I, I'm sure anyone who saw it at Friedrichshafen and will see how beautifully made it is all the part numbers are engraved and it's just made to the high standards it's got AN hardware there's no Mickey Mouse um, metric hardware it looks beautifully made and uh, and the price is it's got to be the cheapest way of getting it's got to be paramotor money I mean we're looking at a uh, 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 the way I would advise anybody to build an aircraft is you buy your airframe kit and then when you've finished it or you're nearing completion you buy your engine and that way the warranty is not expiring while you're um, you're fiddling around building and you, you can get into this that the, the uh, motor glider airframe kits four thousand four hundred and fifty six pounds plus fat and delivery and you know you've got a, a, a really a really sensible SSDR which you can go and, and soar and and, and, um, uh, and and have a lot of fun in for really the minimum cost. It also has a massive advantage as well if you're into gliding you can take the engine off very quickly and the seat moves to a second position and then you can use it as a pure glider so you can aero tow it, you can uh, uh, winch, la winch launch it or you can tow it up with a vehicle or you can slope it, slope saw it and if you go on the YouTube and just type in goat and look at some of the slope soaring these guys are doing yeah you know it's a really sensible well-proven nice aeroplane that will get you into the air for the least possible money and uh, I'm very excited about it I think there's a very if we can get some inertia behind this project I think there's a, a really high probability that it'll be very successful in the UK uh, and I think we're crying out for a decent SSDR really do uh, 
uh, and, and you know, and it's a, it's a great option, I think. So I hope it does well. Ah, there he is. Cool. Okay, thank you, Graham. So I'm with Paul Henry Smith from the Light Aircraft Company. That's it, Paul Henry Smith, Light Aircraft Company, Little Snoring in Norfolk. Uh, today, I'd like to ask you about um, your aircraft, particularly the Sherwood Ranger, the one that is uh, going to be the Microlite version. Yes, where we, are we up to with that one? We uh, we have four models now in the range. We have uh, an ST standard Microlite, 450 kilos, approved for the United Kingdom. We've just completed the approval process for Germany now, so we actually have a, a 472 and a half kilo aircraft uh, with ballistic recovery system for the German market, and then we have two Category A versions, both a standard and a, an aerobatic. So the aircraft you see before you today is, is a 450 ST version with a standard Rotex 582. Uh, its empty weight is 215 kilos, as you see it today, covered in Orotex. Uh, the Oratex covering system. Uh, how many kits have, uh, have you sold of this one? Uh, the uh, the Sherwood Ranger now in ST kits in the United Kingdom we have about six or seven under construction in the UK but then additionally we have uh, kits under construction in Thailand, Hungary, Czech Republic, South Africa, uh, two in France, one in Germany, uh, two in Holland, and one in Japan. I think it's about it at the minute. So, am I right in saying you're working on a German version at the moment? That's where Ger most of your strengths are going at the moment. Yeah, the German the German version has taken us two years. Uh, we've now completed that, and we have German approval as a microlite, so we can build finished aircraft for the German market without the need to go through the same rigorous controls that the CAA are enforcing on, on microlite builders in the UK, which is A81 approval. So yeah, we, we have a, our own quality systems within our facility, uh, and the Germans have seen fit to authorise us to build their finished aircraft. Great stuff. Um, and you've been experimenting with the D-motor, is that correct? That's correct. We've, uh, we've got the D-motor uh, just going into one of our XP versions, which is a Category A aircraft. Um, we very much like the look of it as an alternative to the ubiquitous 912. Uh, being a side valve, it's a slower revving engine, but it's got a really nice uh, horsepower and torque output. And uh, it's also very, very light, weighing in at about 57 kilos. So we, we have high hopes for it. That would fit pretty nice in the, oh, uh, the microlight. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you look at it, the, the UL is, is a fairly heavy engine. Uh, despite what claims there, there might be, it must weigh in at around the 80 kilos. Uh, the 912, once again, is uh, on the surface of it fairly light if you look at the spec sheets, but by the time you put all of the add-ons on, it's a fairly heavy installation, plus uh, it's fairly complex with a, a lot of hoses and wires and God knows what else. The D-motor, is, is, they've engineered it very well. Um, there's nowhere near as many hoses and wires and uh, bits of uh, piping, etc. So we, we've got a high hopes for it. It should, should be a good engine. And um, where are we up to with the aerobatic model of the Sherwood? Aerobatic model, we've got one demonstrator under construction back in, uh, in Little Snoring, and it's just a matter of finding time to, uh, to move things forward and get it completed. And that's single seat, isn't it? Uh, it's a two seat aircraft, yep. uh, 450 kilo max takeoff. Uh, but single seat for aerobatics flown from the rear cockpit and the, the thought process behind it was that uh, a husband could take or, or a, a flyer could take his wife 
girlfriend, partner, whatever, to an airfield, drop them off, go and do a few aerobatics, come back, have a cup of tea, fill up with fuel and go home. Mm -hmm. So trying to keep it still a very utility aircraft but allowing some fairly standard aerobatic manoeuvres to be be demonstrated. Well, how are you finding the show? No, it's uh, relatively early days, but after half a day, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, the, the, this morning has been decidedly wet, but we've had quite a bit of interest, which is which is very positive. There's no two ways about it. The uh, the aircraft market, both in the U- in in Europe and in the United Kingdom, at this point in time, is very depressed. So we're 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 up there. We're still making kits. We're still selling kits, and we're still servicing our customers. Uh, and it's it's all working very well for us. You are one of the few remaining aircraft manufacturers, aren't you? Yes. If you if you look at it in all seriousness, um, there's only a few of us left now. Uh, there's ourselves. There's Pegasus Main Air making weight shift. There's Flylight making SSDRs. Um, there's ourselves and oh, Medway making aircraft I think I don't know whether Medway are currently actively in production um, I, hopefully they are um, but I think that's about it a lot, a lot of the others have, have exited stage left yeah ok well thank you very much Paul no problem thanks very much indeed ok with uh, Gordon Salter of Wessex Light Aircraft yep. and today we're talking about uh, your aircraft range and the uh, the D motor uh, first off, you do the Xair kit. We do. Uh, the The current kit is the Xair Hawk. Uh, we've been selling it for four years. It's like most 450 microlights, very close to its um, uh, maximum empty weight with the 912 in. So the D motor is has been a major. Um, uh, benefit to us because it now means that we we can in- increase its um, useful weight yep. load. Um, the D motor weighs how much? The, the D motor is 57 kilos including oils uh, uh, and coolant uh, exhaust. Uh, the actual engine itself is a, a bare is only 47 kilos. So at 57 kilos it's a saving on a Jabiru of, of something like 14 and on a 912 it's nearer 18 kilos. Um, it's direct drive engine uh, at 2,900 rpm. It's producing 91 brake horsepower, and of course it's fuel injected, so you have no carb icing problems. Fairly simple technology. Very simple because it's side valve, uh, 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 less moving parts. It's a flat head as well, so it fits yeah. in a tighter space. That's right. Mm. Uh, how are things progressing with like new D motors, new models? Um, they're they're working on uh, the six-cylinder engine, which we should have uh, ready uh, for the market the end of next year. So we're looking at sort of uh, autumn 2014. Uh, we have um, we have a, a mock-up of, of what it will look like, but we haven't got one running yet. The D motor, the four-cylinder, the 26 um, um, LF engine, actually went into production in January. Uh, so far we've delivered four um, and uh, I'm just finishing off the flight testing now uh, to get it approved by the LAA uh, for use in the UK. Okay. Uh, and your uh, Xair, the, the basic model there, that's been around for quite a few years now, hasn't it? Uh, yes, it was introduced in uh, 1997 at Telford, uh, at the Telford show in 1997. 
Um, so, and, and since then we've sold over 300. Um, there were about 240 standard XRs, about 45 uh, Falcons, which was a, 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 a updated version of the standard XR. Main difference being it had flaps. Uh, whereas the standard XR was was just ailerons, uh, and uh, we've sold about 45 XR Hawks. The the um, the sales of Hawks have been slow mainly because there are uh, more competition these days, and uh, we're close to our empty weight limit fitting the 912, and um, that seems to be the engine that most people would buy out of choice so so and the the aircraft was originally designed for the Jabiru engine so so uh, the D motor is a big thing for us big benefit mm. uh, the, I guess the parts for a D motor would be considerably cheaper than uh, Jabiru considerably and and the manufacturer is very keen to get the engine established in the market so uh, the backup from the manufacturer is superb they will um, um, they really intend to to look after it and look after their customers, basically. And and, and uh, I think uh, most people will be very impressed with the service we can give. Uh, any other new information you can give us? Any? Uh, uh, not really. Um, that's uh, that's a lot of work for me over a period sure. of time. And and uh, we're. We've managed to survive the recession by being a very small company, almost a one-man band, and keeping our overheads to an absolute minimum. Yep. So uh, uh, we're still selling kits at the same price as we were in 2010. Um, and we've been able to do that by keeping our overheads down. Yep. Right. With Bill Brooks, P&M. Morning. Good morning. Uh, what have you got to show us at the show today? Uh, well, there's the um, there's the, the, the Pulsar, which uh, we continue to develop. Um, it's uh, the project's moving forward. In that uh, last week, I was load testing, so I've um, produced a new um, composite moulding, uh, which is uh, lighter and easier to produce. And uh, I've been load testing that, so. Okay. Um, uh, we put 9G downwards on it, and that was okay, and about 20G forwards on the engine, and uh, all these other loads. And um, uh, because you would end up with such a mountain of sandbags, uh, we did it with a thing called a whiffle tree. <laughs> okay. A whiffle tree is a sort of um, series of beams which divide up the load. Into um, so that you can distribute the load over the structure. Um, so we did 9G downwards and the torque on the engine mount at the same time, um, and uh, the, it's all looking really good because the at at the fully factored ultimate loads, it's all sort of twisting and, and a little bit of buckling here and there, and the the odd little. Uh, peel failure which I can sort out so clearly the structure is really um, up against it quite close to the the limits with this enormous composite material super factor on um, so it's clearly not over designed and therefore not too heavy mm -hmm. um, 
so it's uh, it's going all right but um, I had to take the undercarriage off uh, in order to put on my test piece and uh, and then put it back on again to bring to the show next week I'll take the undercarriage off again and mm -hmm. throw it at the floor again so um, <clears throat> yeah how's it been received in the marketplace um, all right, but I think people um, sort of scratch their heads at it for a while, thinking, uh, what's the point? Um, why not have a three-axis control aeroplane until people fly it? And then um, pretty much without exception, as soon as people fly it, they get it. Mm -hmm. um, in that it gives you... Uh, I suppose the key thing is that um, your face is completely protected from the wind and your head's protected from the turbulence as well so uh, you don't need a, a helmet visor mm -hmm. um, furthermore there's no front strut so uh, you've got much better visibility really instead of having a plastic visor rattling away in front of your face you, you've got completely open vision and um, uh, looking out of the sides um, you can really focus pin sharp on the ground yeah. and so cruising along at, um, at 90 or so is very comfortable um, apart from of course there's much better suspension there's, there's uh, much more adjustability in the seating um, power plant is Rotax 912S um, but it, it's interesting to me with a cowled engine, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. So um, I keep looking at, at um, automotive conversions and things like that um, to try and find a, an alternative power plant, which mm -hmm. has been the holy grail for a for a while. Um, I saw you looking at the D motor yesterday. <coughs> What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's a very professional job when you look at it. Uh, clearly, the amount of investment that's gone in is is uh, Colossal, and they're determined to get things right. Um, so they said they spent two million euros on development so far. Well, yeah, I mean that's not a guarantee of success no. by any means, but yeah. it's certainly um, helpful. I mean, I, I think the the concept of the engine is quite interesting in that um, it's a big enough capacity for a dry, direct drive to to um, to give the power. I think. Um, at two and a half thousand RPM, I worked out it looks like a, just under 80 horsepower. Um, it'll give 92 at 3,000 RPM, but then the tip speed of the prop gets rather high, mm -hmm. and um, we find with a pusher layout, it's uh, typically 3 dB noisier than with a tractor because of the prop working in disturbed air and also with the propeller sort of under the wing sometimes you can get a double peak of noise mm -hmm. so this is why the the 912 s is so good in that it um, turns the propeller very slowly so yep. you can have a big prop which right. gives you loads of thrust yep. and you keep the noise down um, just returning to the pulsar we've um, found that uh, we can make the trike unit directionally stable enough on its own and um, that's enabled us to fly the wing without the winglets and that's reduced the roll inertia quite a lot so it's quite manoeuvrable um, 
Yeah. You've been working with the uh, the Fly Two Pole, <coughs> flying for freedom, guys. Going to be taking the pulse out of the Antarctic. Is that correct? Well, hopefully, yes. Um, it has a number of features that makes it interesting for that uh, project. Um, the engine's cowled so that it's quite easy to preheat it, for example. Um, you could put a, a heater pipe into the bottom of the cowl and preheat the engine. Um, when you do get it started, it warms up very quickly. Mm -hmm. So um, that ought to be all right. Um, we might even put in a, a heater, at least... <laughs> to keep the pilot's feet warm yeah. um, so there are a number of, of things about it um, they're working on like a tent sort of mechanism aren't they, that, uh, yes yes that's right pulsar. yes yes camp camp under the trike and yeah. also um, uh, I think the uh, the spring beam undercarriage would be quite good for skis too so uh, and it'll be a good good proving ground that's for sure yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. And uh, probably good marketing for you guys as well, I would think. Well, yes, yes. Um, I'm uh, I'm not sure if it will be our... Um, our well, it's our flagship, really, mm -hmm. you know. Um, mustn't uh, take our eyes off the ball of, of keeping um, aviation affordable. Yes, yes. Uh, but I've learnt so much over the project. I mean, if you look at the basic trike part of the Pulsar, it's very very simple um, it's basically one molding with a bulkhead and something to put your seats on and that's it mm -hmm. um, so it, it does uh, make you think about the construction of a, of a, of a simple open trike but using the same sort of concept mm -hmm. uh, yeah uh, moving away from the pulsar then what other uh, developments have we got coming along at PNM um, I suppose a, um, a gap in our range is a simple three-axis um, market, particularly for schools. Um, so uh, I personally would really like a clean sheet of paper, but whether we'll get the, the funding to do it, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, 30 years ago I designed the Dragon, and I think I could do a lot better now. <laughs> Although amazingly, one is still flying, and I'm going to go and permit it next week. Yeah. Um, <coughs> uh, at home, I have been uh, rebuilding a Jodel with a Rotax 912S in it, mm -hmm. and um, the uh, PNM are making cowlings and so on for Rotax conversion on the DR1050. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully mine will be flying later this year, which I'm looking forward to very much. It's basically an entire CT2K power plant um, transplanted into the into the Jodel, which was originally powered by a 100 horsepower Continental. Yep. Um, I've moved the engine forwards to keep the, the CG in the right place, and uh, that's going through the LAA at the moment. Um, but that's very much my own yeah, personal thing. I went into it because um, I wanted an economical three-seat aeroplane mm -hmm. um, to replace the Cessna 172 I've been flying for 20 years. Uh, yep. It should go along at the same speed with half the fuel consumption. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, other than that, uh, there's a little modification on the laser single-seat trike um, to make it easier to rig and de-rig, um, which uh, which we've installed. Uh, the single seat market, well in fact the, 
the market generally in the UK has been um, extreme, extremely flat and um, we have taken on uh, Tim Jackson to try and promote our company and get some more sales around mm -hmm. the world. Yep. Uh, what proportion of your sales go abroad, by the way? <coughs> um, well, at the moment, <laughs> at the moment, it's about 90%. Really? No, nobody in the UK is <laughs> buying anything. Yep. Um, now, it's, it's, I suppose it must be about 50% export at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's just the, the terrible waterlogged winter and the last poor summers mm. and this recession, which has been talked up even worse by the politicians, has, has really uh, hit us very hard. So um, it's a, a case of, of uh, surviving the next bit and, um, and then we can, we can go again, hopefully, uh, whilst keeping the same company structure. But, yep. um, I mean, there's obviously a business there in, in, in spares and servicing, but um, uh, that won't be terribly interesting to me. No, no. Uh, Are you doing some work on uh, human-powered flight? Oh, yes, I'm the chairman of the Royal Aeronautical Society Human-Powered Flight Group, and um, we ran the first Icarus Cup competition for human-powered aircraft at Lasham last year. Um, really, that was because there are the high-value um, record uh, records. There's, there's the marathon competition and the sports aircraft competition, both with substantial cash prizes, but they're so difficult that nobody was entering them for mm -hmm. about 15 years. Yeah. Uh, so we got out um, Airglow and restored it, which is an aircraft made by the McIntyre brothers 20 years ago. And um, we found out all the different things it could do. So we've set up a competition with um, a duration, a 200 meter sprint, a 500 meter slalom, a one kilometer uh, time trial, um, a triangular one and a half kilometer course, and um, unassisted takeoff, which is quite hilarious to watch, <laughs> and spot landings. Yeah. And it seems to us that you can run really quite an exciting competition around all those tasks. Yeah. And it, it leads to the development of, um, of a good, the most practical all-round machine you can make, really, in that it doesn't major on speed, mm -hmm. it doesn't major on, on um, duration. So it's a multidisciplinary thing. The FAI have now picked up on it and they have um, approved it as a what they call a category two event this year which will be at Cywell 19th to the 28th of July. Um, we've got five or six entries I think. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the names won't mean anything but there's Airglow, Betterfly, um, there's a uh, two mystery machines coming out of John Edgeley's workshops. Uh, I think there's one from Sheffield. There's Southampton University. Um, we're trying to extract the machine that the BBC had built for the oh, Bangos yeah. the Theory program. Jim Stansfield, is it? That's right. Yeah. Well, he's uh, a bit of an enthusiast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, if this, uh, hopefully this competition will go well this year. 
and then the next year or two I think we're going to see the first FAI World Championships for human powered aircraft which will be Brilliant. very exciting very, very. Um, because I suppose the ultimate aim of the human powered flight group is to have uh, an Olympic human powered aircraft event mm, very good uh, but for, in order for that to happen it has to be widely practiced in yeah, the yeah. world and an established sport yeah. you know but so we're not quite powerful enough are we, as, as animals to propel ourselves in the air for very far well uh, oh, 78 been miles the, been over the channel, 78 yeah. miles is the record and that was by Canalus Canalopoulos <laughs> uh, oh, a, uh, uh, a um, champion Greek cyclist and um, interestingly the uh, drinks that he took with him were one of the first of these sort of isotonic drinks yeah. so um, the, quite a lot of the research for these sports drinks and things came from that uh, right. long flight he had to carry five liters of, of uh, fluids to keep him going um, Personally, you know, I'm I'm 55, but I can still fly Airglow for about three minutes and run out of runway. Yeah. So um, you need to be reasonably. It's power to weight ratio is what counts, yeah. um, and the magic figure is three watts per kilogram. Um, if, if you can turn out three watts per kilogram, you're going to be able to fly. Yeah. And it is. Um, a completely magical and very strange sensation to be flying along a level runway mm. under your own power. I bet. Mm. Mm. But I think um, there's probably even less commercial future in that <laughs> than for <laughs> trying to make microlights for a living. <laughs> yes, yes, you're probably right there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Is there a development with, uh, with the CT? Is there a supralight? Ah, yes. <clears throat> um, the uh, flight design supralight is basically like a CTSW but it has a composite undercarriage and uh, electric trim and um, uh, different wingtips which are, uh, I think primarily aesthetic but um, they may have a small induced drag improvement uh, yeah so uh, we're hoping for deliveries of that during this year um, obviously I have to put a submission in through Ben Sison mm -hmm. but it's it's relatively uh, brief um, the interesting thing is that with all the load testing I'm doing on the Pulsar I'm getting up to speed with uh, composite undercarriage certification let's say and uh, it is fairly appalling in that um, you have a limit drop height which is something like about a foot yeah. um, well, by the time you get the composite super factor on, because in order to generate twice the load in an undercarriage, you have to create twice the deflection. So you have to put in four times the energy to get twice the load. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that, that we need to drop the thing from five times the, uh, the normal limit drop height. Um, and it's, uh, it's crazy, really. It's in no way could you describe it as a landing it's a proper crash <laughs> it's over a meter high 1.3 meters yeah. drop <laughs> yeah. um, so it's it's uh, yeah I did this last week and had splits in the ends of the beam so um, I redesigned that bit solid you know mm -hmm. um, I guess we get a better product out of it and something we can be yeah. confident in and um, 
I think there's uh, there's scope for uh, using that type of undercarriage on a on a tubular construction. You know, what are the main selling points <coughs> of the the Supralite? Um, well, it's uh, it, it's just a bit more sophisticated than than the previous ones, I suppose. Um, performance will be largely the same, uh, but then the CT has got sort of class beating performance anyway. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, it'll be more comfortable, um, and the, uh, the 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 ride on the ground should be a lot better. Um, so we shall we shall see. Okay, mm. well, that's great. Thank you very much. That's a pleasure. Next up, I had a chat with Malcolm Stewart of Red Air. They're the importers and distributors of the uh, the superb C forty two Icarus aircraft. Malcolm had a lot to say about the state of the UK market when it comes to getting new microlight aircraft approved for use here. Turn wings and uh, different rear um, tail with a servo tabs on it, different aileron, just a not logical improvement, and it's just been approved. So they said it's got. I went up to the French dealer and I said, "What do we have to do to get it in?" They said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, what? You know, we've got German approval. Great. What do you need to get it into the France? I said, got German approval. Automatic. Swedish deal, the same thing. I always said, we're the only country that has a, an empty weight limit. I said, no, the UK has an empty weight limit. Does it? I said, what's yours? It's said, 307 kilo. So ours is 288. You cannot make it C42 at C88. You do. They have to. They use lightweight bits, lots of changes. I went to every other dealer there, all the European ones, and none of them had to do anything to get the German approved one into their country. Yeah. And it, and it goes to, you know, unfortunately, we've got Section S. And it just take two years and probably a lot of hassle and a lot of time yeah. to the point where Comco is saying, well, we're not going to do it for the UK because there are just too many differences and too many... It's another good aircraft that's already approved. It's a, it's a logical product improvement, as it were. When we got the B model done, uh, Ben was very helpful. We broke it down into the various bits that were different on it because it wasn't... When we first... I think when Aerosport had the dealership, they went to the CEA and said, oh, we've got the B model. This isn't new. It's new in the UK, but it's been in Germany for eight, nine years. Um... Again, the same sort of thing, logical improvement, bits of products improved everywhere. And uh, the CEO said at the time, what's well, a new aircraft, you know, when you start from scratch, you need to do this, this, that and the other. So they could sell all the aim models they could get at the time. This was, you know, seven or eight years ago. When Pioneer took over, I helped Pioneer get their approvals and what have and they, they didn't really know the history. And they said, what's this B model? Why haven't we got that? I said, because it's really a new aircraft, isn't it? So it has to go through certification all over again. But then we started talking about the differences, and it gave me an idea that perhaps if you look at the differences and focus on the differences, then mm -hmm. it isn't really a new aircraft. So we got the parachute approved, it's got a parachute in it. Uh, that was partly because it is a heavier aircraft, so to give it scope for some extra weight, we'll make it with the parachute anyway. The engines move forward, the air intake's different, the all call is different. There's a few other little differences. So we broke them down into six mods and got the, the six mods approved, the sum total of which was a B model. Right. Well, that's what we had to come up with to get around the rules that it's not an aircraft. Yep. So technically it's an A model with six models. It happens to equal a B model. <laughs> right. but, but the CEO weren't happy about that because uh, um, I remember the guy at the CEA called me up. So there was a lot of mods going on about what's happening. Because ultimately, although Ben signs them off, it's ultimately the CEA yeah, yeah. signature that sort of approves it all. And he said, there's a lot happening. What's going on? I said, well, it's just a new dealer. They're catching up. A lot of things happened at Comco, you know. New dealers is catching up on the latest. I said, why is there a problem with them? And he said, no, not at all. And I said, well, if you could send me an email, that would be a great help to me just to confirm they're all approved. And he did the next day, an email came. And I rang him up to thank him for that. And I said, do you remember about five or six years ago, there was a new, new aircraft around? They always said the B model. I said, yes. I said, well, the sum total of the six changes is the B model, effectively. The B model is now approved. I wasn't happy, but 
it's, you know, it seems crazy you've got to go to those yeah. lengths to actually yeah. get a model approved. But it was just upsetting, really, because you come back from the Friedrichshafen and you think, gosh, that's a really lovely aircraft, that's smashing. But what were you looking at over there? Everything, really. The, well, what was the, uh, the, the, the particular one? There's um, um, uh, the uh, Pipistrol, um Virus SW. Yeah. There's a company been formed in the UK as the dealership for it now, but they didn't know, as I didn't know, five six years ago about the A1 approval that you need to sell microlights. You can't just become a dealer under CA rules and British rules only. Again, we're the only country that has it. They turned the dealer into the manufacturer, and then the manufacturing process of our quality manual, for our exposition as they call it, is really a subcontract control document for the actual manufacturers. But we take over the what they call the POA, which is the production organisation approval, the design authorisation approval, and um, and therefore we can take over the, the type approval status for the aircraft, which is what the CA want. They don't have that in any other country because they accept that German, anything made in Germany that's made to a technical standard, has a technical standard, yep. is acceptable for every other European country. Yep. It's just why we have to be so different that gets me. And I don't see anybody asking the question as to why not. You know, it should be it should be a lot more pressure on, perhaps through the BMA to say, "Look, guys, what's wrong with?" Even Ben's admitted that the LTA, LTF standard that the Germans use, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a very good standard, but it's not, it's not the same as Section S, so we can't yep. use it. It has to, con yep. so we have to do virtually the same test all over again because they're just that little bit different. Now I'm probably cynical because I've had a, you know two years of bashing my head against the CA yeah, brick yeah. wall, as it were. But I can't believe that the. Um, the two standards weren't open. The CA1 is later, the Section S is before the original German standard. And maybe it was cynicism, I don't know, but if you look at the two, the, the word order and the, the procedural order, everything is exactly the same, but there's just that little difference. If it says 100 kilograms load in the, in the German standard, it'll say 106 or something, and, the, and 6 kilograms not make any difference. It's already got a huge safety factor built in. There's nothing wrong with 100, that's more than swagging it out. But no, it's 106 in the yep. Section S, and it. I just think it's almost bloody-mindedness. Well, that's my cynical view on it, rather than yeah. you know, in a sort of a calculated. <laughs> so, what what's the latest from from Comco in, in terms of the Icarus? Anything in Europe that we don't get here? Well, the bit the, the, the C42C, which is the new one now, uh, the C52, which is a completely different aircraft. Um, that's the same as this, really, but it's got rid of all the fabric skins. It's gone to a very thin carbon fibre composite skin, if you like. Because again, for certification purposes, they would have a similar problem if they started again with a whole new aircraft. No, they do have certification. You know, go through a quite a certification process in Germany, but um, they've kept the metal frame exactly the same. So the real strength of the aircraft comes from the metal structure underneath. Mm -hmm. The skin is purely the coating to give it yeah. the aerodynamic shape. <clears throat> so they've changed that from fabric to a thin composite, sort of carbon-ish, 100% carbon too expensive and they've done the same at the tail so it looks a lot nicer they've changed the undercarriage there's a lot of changes on there that is, that is really a new aircraft I suppose still and a microlight still a microlight it's a bit heavier because we have this empty weight limit which is a bit of a problem at times but uh, I can see perhaps why we do have an empty weight limit there is a bit of a safety argument for that because if anybody ever did a, a ramp check I think as the US call it you know somebody checked out uh, any of not just the C-42 Eurostar CT particularly any of them Sky Ranger all of them are right up to the maximum weight limit anyway, empty. Yep. So if you put two people in, you're down to about 15 litres of fuel. Well, if you're going somewhere, 15 litres of fuel is an hour's worth or less, really, with any yep. safety margin. So, yep. um, you know, everybody puts 30, 40 litres in, so they're all taking off 10, 20 kilos too heavy. Yep. I think that's generally accepted. 
Even insurance companies apparently will accept that if it weighs up to 500 kilos, even, even though they know it's only supposed to be 450, they're not going to not insure it because or refuse to pay out if it's that bit overweight. Yeah. So everybody knows that they're flying around 10, 20 kilos more than they perhaps should be mm -hmm. legally, but because the aircraft, I mean, the, the, the same identical airframe from a structural point of view at Comco is approved at 540 in some countries. The USA particularly, they've got their ASTM standards. And, I know that's a self-declaration standard, but mm -hmm. nevertheless, Compo do it properly. They're a responsible company, and they do all the tests actually at 540. So they know it's quite strong, you know. There's no question of safety from the structural point of view. You're not going to overstress the aircraft because you're 10, 20 kilos over the, the sort of acceptable limits. But it's just that you have to put a line in the sand, and yep. if, if you move the line up a bit within a few years, people will be creeping over that. So yep, yep. I'm not totally against the weight limit, but it is a bit on the low side compared with other countries and some countries don't specify even the guys at Germany there's a, a young guy there who's the new quality guy there who does all the final checks and, and the check flight not the ultimate check flight um, on the aircraft he said to me why do you have this empty weight limit you can't fly, you can't fly a plane empty you have to put at least some fuel in a, mm -hmm. the passengers so as soon as you've done that that's the weight that counts yeah. and fair I said, point well, yeah, yeah. it is a fair point yes. <laughs> so um, anyway it's that sort of thing but I think it's just the heavy handed regulation that we have that mm -hmm. we've suffered for a long long time and there doesn't seem to be anything in the system that's trying to sort of suggest that well hang on a minute guys why don't we Europeanize ourselves why don't we accept along with all of our European sort of brothers and sisters and say yes we could we could accept the German standard if it has got German approval. Yeah there is uh, the red tape challenge isn't there from the CAA and I think the BMAA will be yeah. putting together a presentation yeah. so that'll be interesting yeah, to see what they come yeah. up with. But, uh, oh, so we're not likely to get the uh, the at the C moment the C model no not for the moment unless something changes drastically it's just too expensive for Comco they've got to spend they've just spent a whole year doing all the tests to suit the German standard and because that then gives them access to 95% of the European market yeah, so do the same test all over again yeah 5% okay we're one of their best dealers at the moment we are the best dealer in fact you know we sold 22 23 aircraft in 9 months uh, which is a lot more than their next best dealer really yeah so they are interested in the UK market, but to a point, you know, because they are selling the B model so well that they think, well, if you came out of the sea, you might detract almost mm -hmm. from the sale of the B, which I quite agree. It's like you're buying a new car. Yeah, yeah. If you knew there was a new model with a, a different grille and different headlights, which is all we're really talking about, um, just around the corner, you weren't going to buy the old one because you'd wait for the few months for the, but the few yeah. months is likely to be, I think, two years, if at all. The C52 probably never, because that is just too heavy. That's 10 yep. kilograms more. And even with the parachute and it's already on the limit but the c52 is a logical that's, a, that's like a step change in the evolution process it were the c is just the wingtips have gone vertical the seals are better around the doors they've made the control forces lighter by putting servo tabs on the elevation thing and just a general improvement but the, the, the c52 is that is a good aircraft i would yeah. have to agree there's so much different about that you can't go through the <laughs> c42 plus a few mods the mods list is just too long but it's just a shame, really, and it's just annoying. So when you come back from a show like that, an international show, and you're with your fellow European dealers, mm -hmm. they've got considerable advantages, you know, huge advantages over the yep. UK. And even they're all simple. Well, how do you survive? And I said, well, fortunately, we are selling a lot of aircraft. But, I mean, a UK one costs five grand more than a European one because there are so many special bits. There's 108 mods to get that through Section S. And every time you bring it for a spare part, they said, have you got some so-and-so in stock? No, Malcolm, you have a UK special. We don't keep yours in stock. We make them every time. So there's a delay in getting apart yep. because there's such low volumes. I mean, there's 1,250 of those flying around, of which 1,100 to the European spec and only 150 to the UK spec. 
But of course, there isn't a problem with those 1,100 flying around. Yep. They're not giving any problems. So quite clearly, the, the German standard is perfectly fit for purpose because yep. it doesn't give problems in service. So the it's, it's the lack of... When I came from a... I'm an engineer in a safety-critical sense because of the way steering systems are trucks and buses. And every time we were signing off a new system, the worst-case scenario was always a school bus on a mountain road in Switzerland. So steering failure could kill 50, 60 school kids as well. So I came from a very safety sort of conscious culture, if you like, and for the last 20 years. But a big part of that was that if, you, if it was a, not completely a new system, but a new system on a, on a new bus, say, but an existing system, it would have been tried, say, putting a, a Volvo system onto a Scania bus, which was the typical scenario. The fact that that had been already out there for two or three years on several Volvo buses, and there been all kinds of, if you like, real life mm-hmm. sort of use, there was different loads, different drivers, different temperatures, different road surfaces, different everything. All the things you could imagine that you would need to test for has already been done for two years in real time. None of that, absolutely none of it, counts towards any approval in the UK. I think that's crazy. That's not good engineering. That's you, you, You're applying a, an arbitrary standard that somebody's invented some numbers and say yep. it has to meet that. Who's to, nobody's challenging whether that number is a good number. For instance, the control load stick. If you look at a C42, your stars are saying, it's completely different, not just slightly different. The loads in the in Section S are twice as high as the European one. And yet the control system doesn't fail on any of the others. So the accident <laughs> statistics are no different on the They're continent? Absolutely no different, absolutely no different whatsoever. I went to a presentation, actually, and this is probably what started it all off, about five or six years ago. The reason I know so much about it is that I, I was um, the, the Fantasy Allegro, which is a, a plane very similar to this. Um, they were looking for a UK dealer. At that time, I thought I'm coming up for retirement age, love flying, love things, and I thought I had a good job, earned enough money for a while, seen the world. That time I slowed down a bit and did something I really enjoy, which was like getting involved in aircraft. I went over to see them, took a good friend of mine who's a BMA, was the BMA test pilot many, many years ago. He flew it, he was a C42 test pilot for the leader at the time. Good mate of mine, he flew it and said he flies really, really well. He went over any trouble with this, it's spin proof, it doesn't do anything, it doesn't yep. bite. So I thought, great. And, um, Oh, you got anyway, so he came with pets. me. Then they, they went through all the, um, yeah. the approvals that he already had. He'd already had approval in every country in the world, virtually Australia, USA, every European country. I thought that would be a rubber stamp job. So I bought a plane, got it over here, and then I found out about Section S, and I found out about A1 approval. Still got the plane five years on it, sat in the hangar at Hainby Green, it hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> so that's a waste of 30 grand. <laughs> Expensive mistake. Yeah. But it was because I came from an international engineering background, where standards in certain countries are quite easily accepted in other countries. But not the UK. You assumed that I assumed Britain would wrongly assume that UK would be similar to that if you got German approval. Anything made in Germany? Yes, I assumed I got it wrong because industry in general, particularly the car industry, which is very competitive, they haven't got time to mess about with duplicated standards and different yeah. standards. They go for a, a standard they all agree on, and that's it. Yeah. You know, they might be competitors, but they still agree on a common standard, which makes life very easy for the suppliers. And if they meet that, in other words, if I went into Mercedes for the very first time, let's say, who do you ask to supply? Well. Scania, Volvo, MAA, oh fine, that's it, they're automatically accepted. Yeah. You know, but so starting from scratch is difficult, but not if you're, uh, you know, if you're already out there. And I thought it was pretty much the same in the aircraft industry, how wrong I was, you know. Um, so, it's a bit of a shame really, it's just that, you know, if you look at the, f- there's five factory built approved aircraft you could use for training in the UK. That number is probably ten times that in any other European country. Yeah. So we're restricting the choice for the microlighters, the public are not getting the choice that they, is available if it wasn't for the regulation. 
and uh, the price is much higher. You pay a lot more for a C42 in the UK than you do in Germany. In fact, a lot of people are trying to import them from Germany or France or Spain or any European country where there are lots of C42. They can't because they won't get it certified because we have to prove that it meets Section S. Yep. They're taking aircraft apart, put all the models on that's necessary for the UK. It's not economic. It'd be, way, it'd be more expensive than the UK would be in the first place. Yep. But it's that that's getting to me, I think. I'm a European at heart, and uh, the CA certainly <laughs> are not, you know. Yep. But, uh, um, but it's the lack of any challenge. I can't tell it, you know, but I think somebody like the BMA are in a position to say, hang on a minute, guys, why are we not so much in line with the rest of it? What the Germans say as well is that the, uh, the Germans have the Deutsche Aero Club, and whilst within that there is a UL section, ultralight, microlight section, if you like, uh, it's all part of the same organisation. It's like combined with the LAA and the BMA, if you like. But the difference is they do not report to the CEA. They report, the Germans say they report to the Ministry of Fun. Because although it's serious, you know, they do a good job. The accident rate in Germany is very, very low. There's no yep. problem. So the, the German government are quite happy for them to regulate it as a sport, as a hobby, if you like, not as a professional pastime. Okay, training part of that, but the training is only to give you a, a license to fly for fun. It's not for commercial purposes. So they treat the whole thing exactly like that. Try and keep the, the standards proportionate to, um, you know, fun, not not as though it's an Airbus or a jumbo jet or something, which yep. is the problem that we have here. You know, the amount of documentation, the paperwork they have to go through, is just, it gets more every year, it never gets less. Our own exposition that put 140 C-42s in the air for Aerospore uh, was a 78-page document. It's now 132. Nothing's got taken out of it. Somebody wants a thing about compass swing, somebody else, oh, I'm not happy with that, oh, we need that in there. And because it's gone through three or four different CEA engineers. But I actually said at one point, I, I was getting so fed up with the whole slowness of the, the process and because all the while it's struggling as a company mm-hmm. we paid our seven grand out to the CA in September 2011 we didn't actually get to sit down and talk to them despite chasing them every day until just before Christmas we'd lost three months just be, just waiting for them to respond to our application they won't accept the application without money so they had the money yeah. and I thought in any other commercial organisation that would be almost fraudulent you're taking mm-hmm. money up front but not doing anything with it oh we're very busy at the moment oh yes we can't get to you quite yet Oh, we need to talk to my manager, he allocates in you know, the project. I tried all of that, didn't get anywhere. So I got off to a bad start, because that's three months where we've lost several sales, we're losing sales to Eurostar, because yep. we couldn't supply them. And it's lucky a lot of our customers stuck with us, because fortunately the aircraft is such a good aircraft, people didn't wait for us to get approval. But everybody commented, you know, how wrong it was. So, mm-hmm. you know, but when nothing really had changed, the aircraft is the same. There's a team of people behind us, not just Lisa and myself. We employ people like Paul Welsh, who's well known to the BMA, he's our certification engineer. Two of the guys approved in Germany. All those people hadn't changed. All that really changed was the location. Yeah. Why did that take an extra 20, 30 pages of paperwork? And I actually said to the guy at one point, uh, I said, I hope you are. So what's the situation with the, um, the aircraft that are flying out there then? Will they be grounded? And the guy says, No, why, should, why would they be grounded? I said, Because you've come up with 52 non conformances on, on the existing set of paperwork that has put the 140 aircraft that are flying out there already in the air. It must seriously question the airworthiness of those aircraft because you're questioning that the procedures to do it are not right on 52 count. It's only 100 not in the whole section, so more than half of it was not up to the, the, what, what he considered were the standards necessary. So he said it has to, you know, can't be. It has to be one or the other. Yeah. Either those 140 aircraft are safe and the procedure isn't that bad, or because you've now found that the procedures are not adequate, they are flawed in so many areas. You have to ground the aircraft. He wouldn't accept that at all. But I said to me, it's 
There's no argument. It's either right, and it's good enough for the 140, in which case, why are you asking us to do all this extra work? And it's, I spent hundreds of hours on it. But that was, I don't mind spending the time on it, if you can see a genuine benefit for it. The only benefit was eventually we would get there. But the fact that it took nine months, £12,000, it's another cost, which you just don't have in any other European country. And that's the bit that gets to me. So Anyway, I'm not sure how much battery we've got left in that, but I've probably said more than enough already. But uh, no, that's, that's my thoughts on it. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, Are you lucky to have the uh, Icarus dealerships, the cracking aircraft? Yes, yeah, yeah. Right, well, thank you very much, Malcolm. Not at all. Right, with Paul Dewhurst of uh, Flylight. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Steve. Uh, tell me, what, uh, what are you up to and what are you showing uh, at Popham today? Um, we're showing the Ninja, um, and uh, we've got Microlite version on the stand, but we're working away towards uh, getting the final ticket for the VLA version, and that's kind of 99% of the way there now. We're just working on final tiny bit of pa paperwork shuffle. Um, but everything's in place and the test flying is all done and stuff. What's the, the weight limit on the VLA? It's 500 kilos and uh, it's essentially exactly the same aeroplane as the Microlite version. It's just been tested to the higher weight. Um, it has a, a very slightly different main undercarriage leg uh, and it needs an electric fuel pump and a slightly different firewall spec um, and a couple of very minor odds and ends. But essentially it's exactly the same aeroplane. And the idea is that we could offer the, want a better word, the VLA uh, spec aeroplane, but you could choose to have it either as a microlight or as a VLA um, because it's light enough to, to be operated as a microlight and get un, under the empty weight limit. And in theory, you should be able to transfer the registration. So uh, if you bought it and flew it as a microlight version, you could later just re-register it as the VLA and uh, if you've got the right type of license then you could fly it as a VLA and benefit from the extra payload uh, or it or it might ex expand the market for selling it second hand as well that you could uh, you, right. you've, you've effectively got a whole other market to sell it to so it just makes the aeroplane a little bit bit more versatile really. Uh, and who, under whose auspices is this being sort of tested? It's uh, be the first non-microlite that the BMAA has done uh, which makes sense because they're, obviously they're, they're very familiar with the whole Sky Ranger uh, mm -hmm. fleet uh, and the Microlite Ninja, um, and so this has just yes, been justifying it to a slightly different code, but essentially it'll be the same aeroplane handled the same way. Something I'm always confused about is how does the VLA fit in vis-à-vis -vis as against uh, an LSA under the, like, the European regs? Well, VLA really is just a certification code, um, and. Uh, it will pretty much cover for LSA as well. So, I mean, we've called it the Ninja LS for light sport model, just because that's the kind of more modern kind of buzzword for it, really. Um, uh, but the VLA code kind of predates the, the LSA one. The, the European version of that's only just arrived. And essentially, it's a slightly watered-down VLA code. So, so it, it'll function for either. But for a UK customer, it doesn't really make any difference whether you call it a VLA or an LS. You need the same the Group A licence to fly it and the permit and everything's exactly the same. Okay. Um, what else have we got on the, on the stand today? Uh, we've got a whole complement of dragons. So we're showing uh, the dragon in a fair few guises. We've got it with the fox wing. Uh, and the combat wing, which is the, the very high performance, uh, uh, very 
very uh, high spec glide uh, version. They're the two ends of the spectrum, aren't they, in terms yeah. of performance, yeah. the Fox and the Exactly. Combat. And then we've also got one with the chaser wing on it, the Dragon Chaser, which is um, the other two are, are, are more geared towards using a very low power engine, low speed but high efficiency flight in terms of fuel consumption and glide rate and thermaling. And the Chaser is more geared towards the traditional kind of microlight use of touring, so it's the fastest one of the bunch. And, yeah. uh, and I'll, uh, if you want to go flying with your mates in their quantums and blades and quicks and not get left behind, then that's yeah. that's the one to go for. So if someone wants to buy something from you, they come along, they choose the trike, they choose the wing, they choose the engine, and you mix and match, basically? Pretty much. I mean, that's a fairly new concept for the UK because we've been used to certification, kind of making everything fairly rigid and defined and not too many options, whereas uh, we've got... I don't know, I think if you added it all up, we've got about 24 variants of, uh, yep. of effectively you choose your trike, you choose your wing, and you choose your wing, so you can uh, you can make up quite a lot of diff different variations. Yep. How are you finding Popham this year? Well, uh, the Sunday, uh, the weather's a bit nicer than the Saturday. Yep. Um, I flew in in the Ninja from Sywell yesterday, and it was a 30-knot headwind and a bit of turbulence and a bit of rain, so it wasn't terribly pleasant, <laughs> but managed to get here, whereas today it's... Uh, a balmy five to ten knots and the and the sunshine uh, almost perfect flying yeah, weather huh? exactly so lots more visitors and a uh, little bit more going on good okay great stuff thank you thank you okay i'm with gordon clefane gordon uh, when was it you decided to build your first aircraft um actually decided in 79 and um went to see the bank manager told him I had an idea and um, he agreed did he? yeah <laughs> 1500 quid yeah. so uh, me and another chap um, ordered our weed hoppers from Utah in America and um, got them shipped over excess baggage and uh, collected them from customs and then about 3 or 4 months later came down to Popham uh, rented a shed off gym pound a day and built it for about three or four months I suppose. What made you pick the weed hopper? It was the only one we looked at film of Oshkosh ultralights and so on it was the only one that looked like a real aeroplane with wings over the top and you know rudder and elevate, not elevators um, spoilers so um, yeah that's why I got it it looked quite comfortable with the seat. <laughs> nice relaxed position. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You were sort of around during the very early days of microlighting in this country, and you met up locally with the likes of Jerry Breen. Yeah, Jerry Breen, and uh, I didn't know them very well, but we were all at that first meeting. Steve Hunt, Mike Langton, Pete Labgrove. Um, and we, we just signed a form you know, list name by name. I think there were about 20 of us all together. And that was the BMAA. Uh, it wasn't microlighting in those days, it was the British, British minimum. minimum aircraft, yeah. And not long after that, um, a lot more people who were flying hang gliders with engines joined in, and that's how it started, really. Um, because I was building it at Popham, we had the first trade fair. Jim was keen, keen on microlights. And um, we had the first trade fair here, and it's been going for donkey's years now. <laughs> You've got BMAA registration number, membership number? Yeah, 004. membership 004. 
I've got trauma at home somewhere. There was a bit of a, not conflict, but um, the BMA guys uh, wanted to keep their own administration, so they issued their own number. But Jim down here, because it was his airfield, he wasn't sure about insurance if, if I hit one of his aircraft and mine wasn't registered. So I went up to King, King's Road, is it? Kingston House or something? CAA. And uh, registered it. And they opened the book and said, you can have any of these numbers. So GBH, we dropped WH, was there. So, so I had that one, yeah. And then Jim allowed me to hop up and down without much trouble. <laughs> so you built this in, what, 79, was it? Um, I bought it in 79. I moved here. January 1980 and started in that little shed down the end there. Um, freezing cold it was. No electricity? No electricity, no, no lighting in fact. So like what, what did you do for like drilling all the holes in? Uh... Right, by hand, all by hand. The big holes I borrowed a generator yeah. and Jim's electric drill. And the weed over came with a, a clamp you could put over a tube and get a correct 90 degree through it you know so it was pretty accurate um, yeah it worked out okay it took a long time without power um, the cold hands <laughs> but engine technology was pretty basic in those days for uh, what you were trying to achieve wasn't it yeah um, the engine was built by the people who built the wheat hopper it was a cast aluminium cast crankcase two-stroke 300 cc but it was unreliable, it was difficult starting, the timing was all over the place. Um, I chopped the back of my finger off because the prop came back at me. Um, and then the pinhole, I took off on the first circuit, perfect, I landed, I thought I'd do another one. And I could see Jim coming out saying, no, no, you don't do second circuits on your first day. So I went up and I've got as far as where the water tower is, and the uh, engine just died. Came down in Rangers Field. Perfect landing. Landed in soft earth, nose wheel dug in about five miles an hour, and um, the prop hit the ground, and the, the piston broke as well. Piston rings broke. So it was ages before I could get spares. And, but Steve Hunt um, helped me a lot. He's um, placed down the Henfield in Sussex. He sold me the engine and he built engine mountings for the weed hopper, reduction drive for the prop, and it's been fine. Worked perfectly. Just the right power, you know, for the weed hopper. Yeah. yeah. So you actually, you'd never flown anything before you started doing your, uh, your trial hops down the runway here in your weed hopper? No, no. I'd, um, I had it in my mind, you know, you mustn't do this, that and the other. Looked at the book and... Um, you had the manual strapped to your knee, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jim insisted that I had the manual. So, um, yeah, it, it was just a question of slow little hops and um, got a bit higher and a bit further each time. Got the hang of landing it. Takeoff's always easy, isn't it? Took off at 27 mile an hour. Well, I had the airspeed indicator out on the wing, you know, ping pong ball in the tube. And um, so I had to keep looking out there, and Jim told me off because he thought I was looking at him. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 
sounds good. And the Weed Hopper has sort of uh, given birth to quite a few other aircraft, hasn't it? Like the, yeah. the X Air and. Uh, That's right, and the. Um, AX3. AX3, yeah. They, they built out a two seater actual Weed Hopper in France, but it didn't last very long. Then the um, AX3 came out. I've never been, been in an AX3, I don't know why. I've got the, the, the thruster. Um, went that way, which is quite a nice machine. Yeah, lots of power, especially if you flew it on your own. I had some conversion lessons with Mac here, and he suddenly got out one day and strapped in a, a big um, can of stones. He said, Right, go on, off you go. I went round, came in over 03, did my first circuit. And it was a perfect three-wheel landing. And I've only done that once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I usually come down on two wheels and then gradually go down on the tail wheel, you know. Yeah, so in between time I was flying the um, laser from here. That was a nice aeroplane. And I've, I went up in the Chevron, which I helped to build. Never actually controlled it. So. Um, what else? Then I bought the paramotor, um, went to France and learned to fly that. And I got a BMAA endorsement for the foot launched aircraft, which I've got somewhere. So, so how many hours did you get on the weed hopper? On the weed hopper, I reckon, I didn't keep a real good logbook, but I reckon 350 hours minimum. Until the CAA caught up with me and said, it's unsafe, <laughs> you need to modify this, that and the other. Um, but there was such a lot of mods, it would be being redesigning the aeroplane. And in those days, you couldn't redesign an aeroplane. You had to have a, um, you had to be authorised to, to make these changes, you know. So I sat there for a bit and um, it's been ever since really. So you swap, swap the engine as well, haven't you, to a Robin, you say? I swapped the engine to a Robin 330 twin, which was inverted, but it was perfect for the weed hopper. And I could tell a self-start, a pull start. Um, I think about a month after I fitted it, I started it flying up out here, and the, cord, the start cord started unwinding. <laughs> it came flapping around, and the handle straight into the prop. But it was all right, it uh, didn't damage the prop very much, it kept going and uh, came down again. And, uh, yeah, a few incidents like that. Made a few mods. Pete Lovegrove, who was the godfather of the aircraft, BMA godfather, um, came up with a lot of mods for fixing the wings and the fuselage and the engine. We went through the whole lot and made it safe, you know. Yeah. There's got quite a few, um, from what I gathered, quite a few accidents in the States with um, wing struts bending the bolts and snapping and stuff. So, yeah, I was lucky to find him, really. Yeah, he kept me flying, I think. Safely. So, where is your weed hopper now? I've still got it at home. Um, the wings are rolled up in the fabric in the workshop, out of the daylight with the rudder and the elevator, which I painted, so they should be all right. Uh, the chassis, the airframe, and the engine are all intact in another storage area, dry, 
beside the house. Yeah. I was having a read, read of the uh, copies of your early logbook that you sent me, and uh, you seem to have a lot of problems with uh, your uh, bearings uh, seizing up. Oh, did you say uh, that uh, if your axle had a broken, the whole plane would fall? Yeah, the, um, the axle was the only link between one wing and another. Um, and you sat on the axle. And we were coming up with ways of trying to either put a cable between the two wing struts. Um, but that wasn't approved by the CAA, even though it would have been safer. But it was just tough. Um, it came down heavily here with someone else who said, oh, you, you should be able to climb out, show, I'll get in, I'll show you how to do it. I won't mention any names, but he took off and he stole it, and he came bang down on the axle, and the axle was that shape forevermore. I said. you shape. Yeah, not badly shaped. Um, it was one inch stock aluminium, quite tough, you know, solid, but, um, yeah, things like that where it's always in the back of your mind when you take off, you know. Um, so, because I couldn't do all the mods legally anyway, um, I bought a share in a thruster and um, from from Mac here at Popham. I bought one of his thrusters and uh, he taught me to fly and yep. uh, converted onto it. And uh, then the other three guys in the share dropped out. So I bought, I bought, bought them out and sold the thruster. Um, what did I do then? So how did you feel when you were teaching yourself to fly? I mean, it's the sort of thing I'd probably be daft enough to do myself when I was younger. Yeah. What was going through your mind? You, you, you um, fear for your own life? <laughs> no, it wasn't actually. Um, because I, I knew nothing about aeroplanes, really. You've got complete faith in what they're telling you in the book. <laughs> you trusted the Americans, eh? Yeah. If I'd known then what I know now, I probably would never have gone up in it. But I just, I suppose it's instinct in a way, because I studied really hard the manual, the flight manual, um, what to do if there was a crosswind. Um, and Jim Espin, who built the airfield, would watch me go up and down and uh, told me how to land properly. And, insisted I do a false landing at 30 feet right outside the clubhouse which I did it came down perfectly just but the elevator was quite big so you had good control yeah. just greased it in really and um, yeah and I clocked up several hours going to Chilbolton Hampstead Norris I used to fly right round Basingstoke in a circuit went down to um, as far as I could on the Winchester, the Southampton zone, um, Heathrow that way, just kept out of the way really. Mostly it was short field hops, you know. A few of us used to get together and on a good evening we'd go around different fields around the area, just hopping in and out of avoiding the pylons <laughs> and then end up back at Popham, you know, have a drink and that. I've seen a picture of your old plane. You've got one of those old sort of vintage car horns stuck on the on the A-frame, <laughs> haven't you? Yeah, it, was a, it seemed to suit the aeroplane really. <laughs> was that for anything particular, or just? It was no, it was just just, just for a laugh really. Yeah. Um, at one time, I had a can of beer, tacked, an empty can of beer, tied onto the fuselage, a first aid kit, you know. <laughs> but it was frowned upon, so I said, "Oh, CIA didn't like that." <laughs>
<laughs> so what now? You've just rejoined the BMAA? What yeah, you rejoined. Um, I've still got the weed hopper, but I don't think I'll fly it. I reckon every every bolt on it must have surface rust. Um, it needs a very good inspection, nut and bolt inspection, really. It's probably all right to fly. The fabric is wrapped up. It's all out of the sun. The engine I keep propping over by hand, you know. Not running, just turning over. But I don't think I'll fly it again. And looking at these over here, you think, is that really a microlight? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not into the enclosed cabin, really. But what takes your fancy, do you think? I like the thruster. I like that sort of aircraft. I've never flown a, a trike. Um, I've never even been up in a trike. But, um, probably, probably something like the weed hopper, where you're outside and two-seater. Maybe a tail dragger, something like that. Yeah. So, see what's around. Okay, thank you very much, Gordon. Okay. Well, that was a selection of the uh, very friendly guys at Popham 2013. Uh, it was a great show this year, made possible by the uh, the superb weather. I'm already looking forward to the uh, the, the show next year, uh, and it will be under new management with the retirement of uh, airfield manager Dick Richardson this year. Well, that's it for this episode. As usual, if you have any suggestions for future episodes or would like to take part, uh, then send me an email to steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon.